0: Welcome to Nutrition for Mortals, the podcast that says life is too damn short to spend your time and attention worrying about your food choices. So let's take a deep breath and then join us, two registered dietitians and friends, as we explore the world of nutrition with a special focus on cultivating a healthy and peaceful relationship with food. My name is Matt Priven, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host and the best dietitian on planet Earth, Jen Baum. Hey, Jen.
1: Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. And just a super quick reminder, if you are enjoying the show, maybe consider leaving us a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts. And we also love getting show ideas. And you can email show ideas to nutritionformortals at gmail.com because we love hearing from you all.
0: Also, uh, up front, I'm getting over a cold. So thank you for tolerating my gravelly voice. I feel like I could be the bass singer in the pentatonics currently.
1: Maybe we should stop the podcast and you should go reach out to them
0: boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I'm going to do that. That sounds like a really good idea. All (laughs) right, (laughs) bye.
1: So Matt, what are we talking about today?
0: So today we're going to be talking about the famous quote, let food be thy medicine. I'm sure that's something we've all heard many times. And so just as a little outline, we're going to be discussing this quote more specifically. We're going to be talking about common situations nowadays where food and medicine get like pitted against one another. And we're going to talk about a specific story about what can happen when this idea of food as medicine really goes off the rails. And yes, there is another uh, food charlatan, as Jen likes to call them, making an appearance in this episode. So so look out for that person. So let's get into it.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited about this conversation because I think that the phrase, let food be thy medicine is one that probably most everyone has heard before but maybe a good starting place is you know us talking a little bit about what this phrase is supposed to mean or like how are people using it when they're using the phrase so maybe Matt you can start by speaking to that a little bit
0: yeah absolutely well i think in its most benign form this is people just saying you know food's pretty amazing and it can do some amazing things but i think there's a really much darker side to the phrase i want to explore it more specifically but you know, where do you think you hear this most? Like where, where would you hear somebody say, let food be thy medicine?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that this phrase is often attributed to uh, Hippocrates. And so like, mm-hmm. I feel like that this would be like a quote in a presentation or like a TED talk and someone would like, Totally lead with this, like the first slide of the presentation would be like, "Let food be thy medicine," like Hippocrates, like whenever BC. I, I don't, yeah, I'm going to be exactly. honest, like I don't know when Hippocrates like was around. So whenever <laughs> You're about BC, to find out. yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I think too. It's some presentation they're going to talk about the role of nutrition in health or the magic of food, and they're going to talk about how we should let food be thy medicine, and it's always attributed to Hippocrates, and so. Uh, Does that raise any questions for you now that we're in this podcast where we're constantly looking at problems throughout the history of of what we know about food?
1: Well, I mean, I think the first question that comes to mind, because honestly, I don't know the answer to this, is like, I'm actually curious to know if Hippocrates actually said this (laughs) phrase. Like, I remember taking a philosophy course when I was younger, so I remember Hippocrates. But like, I guess I'm curious to know, like, did this guy really say this?
0: Yeah, no, that is the right question to ask. All right, you ready for the answer? I am. No, he, he totally did not say this. <laughs> Hippocrates never said, let food be thy medicine. So that's that's a great place to start, right? This, this quote attributed to Hippocrates. Yeah, he didn't say that.
1: Um, wow. Okay. That's surprising because I actually really thought he did. So I have already learned something in our very short conversation so far. And I also really appreciate the use of sound effects. I think probably what people don't realize is like you control the soundboard. So like I never know what's coming. So that was an excellent, (laughs) that was an excellent lead into your answer.
0: (laughs) So I'm going to send you a quote I want you to read actually. This is from a 2013 paper in the Journal of the European Society for Clinical Nutrition, by the author Diana Cardenas. So she did an exhaustive look into the Hippocratic corpus, which is all of the the medical works and texts attributed to Hippocrates, written by other people, but based on, on his teachings. And after doing this exhaustive look, she concluded the following. So hit it.
1: It says, quote, The phrase, let food be thy medicine, and medicine be thy food, a widespread phrase quoted by today's scientists, is nowhere to be found.
0: That's pretty crazy, right? Like everyone's been attributing this to Hippocrates for so long. And, you know, despite the fact that we can't attribute this quote to Hippocrates, I do want to spend some time talking about him. I think there's actually some really interesting history here. And eventually I want to wrap this episode up with the discussion of whether Hippocrates would have even agreed with the idea that we should, you know, quote unquote, let food be our medicine. So if you will join me, let's go back to the time of Hippocrates and try to think as he would have at the time. So to answer your question, he lived between 460 BC and 370 BC, born on a Greek island of Kos, and the number one song on the billboard. (laughs) (laughs) When Hippocrates was a young man in the year 440 BC when a little something like this. I can hear the whole audience rolling their eyes at me at this point.
1: (laughs) But you have to do it, you know, I mean, it's your thing now, it's your jam. So you have to make it happen.
0: So the biography of Hippocrates is pretty shrouded in history. I mean, this was 400 and, you know, the late 400s BC. So it wasn't really until like 600 years after his death in the second century that any biography of his life was written. But it's believed that he learned medicine from his dad and his grandfather also named Hippocrates. But Hippocrates' biggest contribution to science is simply the belief that gods didn't give you disease. Okay. <laughs> there were natural processes at play in the human body. And he didn't really pinpoint exactly like the correct processes that were at play. But nonetheless, a pretty major contribution that sort of switch from, oh, you're sick. It's because God hates you to something's happening in your body. And we can maybe do something about that. So Hippocrates believed that illness was a result of the imbalance of bodily humors. Are you familiar with bodily humors?
1: You know what I am? I mean, I remember, again, like I remember from like philosophy classes, like talking about the humors, but I don't, like, I don't think I could explain them well. So I'm very glad that you're leading this episode so you can explain <laughs> them to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good that you don't get too deep into the, the quote unquote science of humors because there really isn't much to be found. <laughs> so it's an interesting kind of fascinating piece of health history though. So I'll just briefly explain that humors are bodily fluids and the classic model of four humors says that our body contains four fluids that are blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile. Okay. So for so for instance, if you were a patient of Hippocrates, he might look at you, listen to your symptoms and go, yeah, so what you got here is you got too much blood. So we're going to let some of that out to oh, like no. bring balance back to your humors. Or he might say, you know, oh, you look like you got too much phlegm and since phlegm is considered a cold and wet fluid, we're going to need to give you a treatment to make you hot and dry. So maybe like sit around a fire and eat some like hot peppers or something. So it was all based on balancing these different humors and they had this strange understanding of what would have an impact on those humors.
1: Okay, so maybe not the most evidence-based medicine as we know it today. <laughs> Although a warm fire sounds lovely, so like I would do that.
0: Yeah, it, exactly. It's kind of similar to like doshas in Ayurveda or qi in traditional Chinese medicine. It's about balancing elements, but it's definitely not the model we use today in like western quote-unquote western medicine, right? Mhm. Mm-hmm. So food was often used as a treatment in the model of the four humors, and that's because foods were believed to Directly increase or decrease these humoral fluids. So, you know, I did some research into like what foods had what impact on humors. And so, a food like spinach was thought to increase phlegm but decrease yellow bile. And olives were thought to reduce phlegm and increase yellow bile. And they created these big lists of foods and what influences they thought they had on the four humors.
1: Yeah, so this does sound very similar to like ancient Chinese medicine or Ayurveda, where there's like a big emphasis on eating different foods at different times, depending on what ailments you may be dealing with in a given moment.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's clear that Hippocrates was operating under this different framework for what causes disease. It took a long time, like a thousand years before real advancements were made. So, the final thing I want to say about Hippocrates is we can't really talk about him without also discussing him as a philosopher and an ethicist. And he had really strong opinions on how physicians should carry themselves. He said they should focus on being honest, calm, understanding, but really serious in their disposition when working with patients. He cared a lot about formalizing techniques for medical and surgical procedures. And many people, probably what most people know about him is, you know, his name is in the Hippocratic Oath. And it's an oath of ethics taken by physicians, asking them to swear to uphold the principles of confidentiality, but also, you know, this idea of non-maleficence or first do no harm, which I'm sure everyone is familiar with. So, let's park Hippocrates here for a while. So stay here, Hippocrates. I want to come back to him at the end and try to answer that question. Would he have agreed with this idea that we should let food be thy medicine? So uh, thank you for going with me on this little Hippocrates journey. It's kind of requisite knowledge for where we're going here.
1: I will always join you on these journeys, Matt. Um, And it was very informative because I feel like, again, I think a lot of people probably know about Hippocrates in the context of the Hippocratic Oath. um, But at least in the way we're talking about him today, like you said, I think it's going to be important for our conversation moving forward. So I think it makes sense in the context of this conversation to perhaps use an example of how this idea of letting food be our medicine may play out for someone or even how we as dietitians encounter this idea with folks in practice. So maybe let's use the example of high cholesterol because I feel like a, a common situation that you and I see, you know, it may go something like this someone is told that they have high cholesterol, right? Like they go to their annual doctor's visit, they get labs done, the labs come back and show that they have elevated uh, lipids. And from there, their doctor wants to put them on a medication to help control their cholesterol levels, like a statin medication, simvastatin, torvastatin. But the person might say like, no, I don't like medicine. Or maybe like I should be able to change this without medication. So I'm going to let food be my medicine and try to lower my cholesterol through nutrition and exercise only. But I mean, I guess before we go any further for the sake of this example, like why don't we just bring everyone into the conversation here? And Matt, maybe you can talk a little bit about like what is high cholesterol and why would it be cause for concern?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, that's a really good way to do this. So we're talking about cholesterol as an example of letting, you know, a situation where people might l- try to let food be their medicine, but we'll have this conversation. Keep in mind though, that we could have the same conversation about type two diabetes, uh, high blood pressure, or, you know, r- really so many conditions where people take this model, but we'll talk about cholesterol. So yeah. So what is cholesterol? Cholesterol is a substance that is produced in our liver and we make it because we need it. It plays a really important role in our body, like making new cells. Like we, we totally need new cells. Thank you, liver, for making cholesterol. But cholesterol gets moved and shuttled around the body two main ways. There's LDL, which you may have heard of, which is like the outbound train that leaves the liver and brings cholesterol around the body. And then there's HDL, which is like the inbound train, taking cholesterol from around the body, bringing it back to safety in the liver where it can get processed. So there's this nice balance here. Cholesterol goes out, does important stuff, then gets picked up, brought back to the liver. But the cause for concern is mainly when those outbound trains leaving the liver, the LDL, you know, there's too much of them. There's too many trains going out, everything's congested. And now we have this situation where people have high LDL levels and that is an actual cause for concern because accumulation of these LDL cholesterol particles uh, happens in the arteries. So we accumulate cholesterol in our arteries. There's these deposits called Plaque that people have likely heard of, and plaque increases our our risk for heart attack or for a stroke. And so, you know, this is why LDL is often called the bad cholesterol because it's bringing cholesterol to areas where plaque can be formed. But HDL, this inbound train, is often called the good cholesterol because it's bringing cholesterol back to safety in the liver. So, with cardiovascular disease being, you know, the leading cause of death amongst adults in the U.S., high cholesterol is something primary care doctors spend a lot of time trying to help people manage and so you know naturally there's a lot of medications out there to try to lower cholesterol
1: yeah that's an excellent explanation and maybe we should also touch on what the risk factors are for high cholesterol as well Um, because I think that's going to help us answer the question about whether or not like food should be thy medicine right in the case of high cholesterol or even other chronic diseases
0: Yeah, absolutely. We need to know like what the pieces of the puzzle are here that contribute to high cholesterol because we're ultimately going to try to weigh in on whether we can let food be our medicine. So we need to know what pieces make up the puzzle here. So there's genetic predisposition. So if you have high cholesterol in your family, you're more likely to develop it. And there's a few genetic mutations that can make someone really prone to high cholesterol at like a really young age. Another risk factor is aging. So, So, you know, there's research showing that Cholesterol and LDL go up through our midlife and tend to decline later in life. Physical activity is a big one. So people who are the least physically active have a higher risk of high cholesterol compared to folks who are more physically active. Diet plays a role, certainly. So folks eating the most saturated fat tend to have an increased risk of high cholesterol compared with folks with lower intake of saturated fat. And folks with the lowest fiber intake tend to have a higher risk of high cholesterol compared to folks with high fiber intake. So I'm almost done with these risk factors, just bear with me. So finally, if you smoke, you have a mildly increased risk of high cholesterol. And then certainly if you have comorbidities, like certain conditions like chronic kidney disease would be an example, where if you have chronic kidney disease, you're at a higher risk of developing high cholesterol compared to somebody who does not have kidney disease. So those are the major risk factors. I, I wanna make a quick note though, A commonly cited risk factor you'll see on just about any website you would look this up on is body weight. So there's a lot of studies that note that higher body weight is a risk factor for high cholesterol. So I'm not going to comment on this in full at the moment, but it's not on my list of risk factors. So I'll just say this. Here's our position statement. Here at Nutrition for Mortals, we don't acknowledge overweight, quote unquote obesity as diseases. We believe that the stigma and discrimination experienced by folks in larger bodies has been real and has been traumatic and has contributed to many health conditions. Also, the scientific literature has this real fat bias problem, and it's apparently wearing blinders when it comes to the potential harms of the quote-unquote solutions for uh, a higher body weight, like restrictive weight loss efforts. So let's just put a pin in that topic for now. I know listeners have shared with us that they're interested in hearing more about this topic specifically. So we hear you, we'll talk about it more in future episodes. But, you know, I, I talked about those risk factors for high cholesterol. And so things like genetic predisposition, aging, physical activity, you know, what you eat, whether you smoke, you know, those are, those are the real things that, that most people should be thinking about.
1: If I controlled the soundboard, I would be playing applause to that nutrition for a mortals position statement.
0: You want me to just hit a random sound effect then? Yeah, could you? Yeah, sure.
1: <laughs> okay, it was a little <laughs> anticlimactic, but we'll move yeah. on. Okay, okay, so we've learned what cholesterol is. We have learned like what the potential problems with high cholesterol are. And, you know, of course, we just went through like the risk factors. So, okay, in the case of high cholesterol, should food be our only medicine?
0: Yeah, so I definitely don't think so. <laughs> it's probably important to say you can do whatever the heck you want with your body. You have autonomy over your body, and you know almost all healthcare decisions. But remember, food is just a piece of the puzzle here in this in this example with cholesterol. But within any condition, food is a piece of the puzzle. You know, honestly, we're still figuring out which dietary changes are associated with lowering cholesterol. So I gave you the, the list of risk factors there, but subject to change.
1: Yeah. And I think the way that I see this play out sometimes in practice is that like I'll have people, you know, come to me and they have gotten a diagnosis of high cholesterol and they have literally like overhauled their entire diet, right? They've gone like Mm -hmm. vegan and they've started running even though they hate running and (laughs) they are like pulling their hair out because their cholesterol levels haven't moved that much. And so they come to me and they're like, you know, what am I doing? Like, what do I need to add or what do I need to take away? And, you know, I'll I'll run through and do some background. And, you know, it, it comes to light that like maybe both their mother and their father and their grandparents all had high cholesterol And at that point, it's really this conversation about like, you can't out eat genetics, right? Especially with some of these gene variants and high cholesterol, these are just going to make you naturally predisposed to higher cholesterol, despite all of the modifiable risk factors that you try to tinker with. And, you know, you and I on the show and, and, you know, between the two of us, we talk very often about how... The stress that can come from, you know, trying to be perfect with food, whether that's in relation to just overall diet or in relation to like chronic health conditions, that can have a real impact on someone. And so, when people come to me and they're feeling really frustrated and they have a genetic history, I'm really clear with them, and I communicate that like probably a statin is a good idea because lowering your cholesterol with a statin is really going to impact your health in a positive way and in ways that diet, exercise just can't because of genetics.
0: Yeah. And especially in this example, it's like your doctor's recommending the medication because they're worried you're going to have a heart attack at some point so like it's helpful to have the benefit of both food and medicine I think where it becomes problematic is when people let the pendulum kind of swing in one direction and get stuck at the at the extremes where it's like oh well I'm doing medicine so I don't have to think about what I'm eating or I'm thinking about what I'm eating so I don't need to do medicine right
1: yeah and I mean it's also like I understand being suspicious of big pharma. No one loves big pharma. Like no one's like, I love big pharma. They're the best ever. <laughs> Th- those guys so care about us. But, you know, so, and and I also like acknowledge that there's certain minorities that have real reason to be suspicious of medication yep. and suspicious of healthcare. And, you know, I think that's very, very valid, but I don't think that necessarily should translate to like a complete rejection of Western medicine I actually think that lots of Western medications are awesome and I'm so glad we have them, right? Like medications for depression and anxiety and mental health and chemotherapy for treating cancer. Like these are all things like I'm so glad that we have these tools.
0: Yeah, sometimes medicine is awesome. It saves lives. Like you said, it helps with so many diseases and ailments and prevents like catastrophic health outcomes. And one great example is if you're having surgery, anesthesia literally turns off your consciousness so you don't have to hang around for the show. I mean, it offers us so much.
1: For sure. So but what about like situations where someone like really rejects the conventional healthcare system and modern medicine and like goes all in on this idea of like food is the only medicine? How how does that play out?
0: Yeah. So this is going to be the dark turn of the episode. I'm glad you led us in this direction. So You know, Much like a few episodes ago when we spoke about Robert O. Young and the pH miracle where he was injecting baking soda into people, we're going to discuss a dude who is taking his dietary advice to to dangerous places. So today we're talking about Brian Clement. So Brian is a man who is all in on the letting food be your medicine thing. He runs a health institute and wellness center that quote unquote treats patients with a raw vegan diet and lots of other wellness treatments. And he's, this dude is really into sprouts, (laughs) like bean sprouts, loves them, loves them. He feels like they're magical and he's super anti meat, anti dairy, anti eggs. He's also anti fruit and he's fully in on the idea that sugar is addictive and fruit is just a backdoor way of getting our fix for our addiction, which also references our episode on sugar addiction. And so this guy, you know, he's promoting raw vegan diets and he runs a wellness center. Do you wanna guess what state his fancy wellness center is located in?
1: I'm gonna go with either like Utah or Florida. <laughs> yeah. Is that right? Is one of those right?
0: Florida. You got it. Ding, ding, ding. Nice. Yeah.
1: Florida is like so problematic for so many reasons. And this sounds like another one of those reasons.
0: So let's listen to a clip talking about Brian Clement. And so I'm going to play a clip from CBC news in Canada, talking about the experience of a few folks who visited Clement's Institute to seek treatment for their diagnosis. So, Just a a little warning. This is some sad stuff. So, we're going to, our energy is probably a little too upbeat for what we're about to listen to. But I want everyone to also listen closely for the name of Clements Institute, which I have not shared yet. Okay, ready?
2: Yep, here we go. As we've reported, Michaela Salt went to Hippocrates last summer after leaving chemotherapy. She suffered a relapse of leukemia and died last month. And the family of another First Nations girl also bought in. We can only call her J.J. because of a publication ban. It was um, like being at a resort. Her mother said J.J. was put on a strict raw diet, received laser therapy and vitamins through an intravenous as part of her treatment there. And she left chemo that doctors say had a 90% chance of saving her life to do it. Her mother says she made that decision after speaking to Clement. Dr. Clement said, no problem. He said, bring her here. He said, we can definitely help her. I didn't say that. When we asked him about it, he denied it.
0: You're ridiculous.
2: And in a recent interview with U.S. media, he had even more denials. No, we
0: don't believe the Institute reverses cancer or any other disease.
2: But he has a history of claiming it does.
0: What ailments have you cured by putting your patients on a vegan diet? Every known disease. We have, again, the longest history on the planet Earth, the highest success rate on the planet Earth of people healing cancer.
1: Wow. Wow. There's, there's a lot there.
0: Yep. 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 Not surprisingly, Brian Clement has been using the title doctor for many years and treating people. And he was referred to uh, in that clip as Dr. Clement. So, so you want to take a guess if Brian Clement is a doctor or not? Oh,
1: I mean, like given my past research into Robert O. Young, he's definitely not a doctor.
0: Yeah, not a doctor, not licensed in any way, not a dietitian, just a dude who likes sprouts and money and hates apples and modern medicine. So <laughs> yeah, it's and unfortunately, it's always cancer when you have some fully narcissistic, sleazy, fake doctor bringing people to a resort, it's always cancer they're treating, right? The people who need the most help and are the most desperate.
1: Yeah, because those are often the individuals that are the most understandably vulnerable, right? In those moments. And again, I think I probably said this in our PH episode, but like there is something like particularly vile when, you know, one of these like faux doctors goes down the road of, essentially tricking cancer patients like it's like the lowest of the low right i mean you and i see tons of nutrition claims all the time being made right like raw vegan diet can do this and that but like taking it to the level where you're telling people or implying that it's going to cure cancer is like it's just like a horrible thing like it makes you like a horrible human
0: yeah i think there's an impulse many people have when they hear stories like this where they go well, that person got duped into going to the Hippocrates Institute. Yeah. I love, I love the irony there, right? Mm. Um, and that person should have maybe known better. You know, that's the impulse is thinking, oh, how did this person get tricked? But these wellness environments can be super sneaky. Like lots of people go to, you know, Brian Clement's Hippocrates Wellness Center. They have a relaxing week in the tropics. They get massages and say it was so healing and so wonderful and that means something very different if you don't have a life-threatening diagnosis. Yeah. But if you go there with the intention to reverse a malignant cancer, those words of like healing and treatment, they become something really different. And Clement is saying, "We have a proven track record of healing cancer with food, so come here for your treatment." And so, you know, it really isn't on these people to know better. They got tricked by somebody who was intentionally trying to trick them.
1: At least are we at the point where Brian Clement is, there are consequences? Like oh, you and yeah, I ended like, not, no, oh, no thought,
0: he's still out there doing his thing.
1: Oh, come on. Is the Hippocrates Institute like it's still like functioning and people are still going down there?
0: Yeah. Yep. Yep. This Canadian news outlet, C B C News, has really been trying to do some expose stories on him. And he's definitely been sued a number of times, but he still runs this organization. I almost tried to submit a an application to come visit and just to see if I could get the price of the treatment, but the website's still up there. You can check it out. I could not get the price, but I did read some really funny, terrible reviews on TripAdvisor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I can I think that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. So one idea I want to bring up is, you know, you and I went to this eating disorder focused conference recently. Mm -hmm. And I went to this great talk where a dietitian named Claire St. John was discussing the sort of insidious nature of diet and wellness culture. And she brought up something I hadn't thought of before that I think applies here. So she mentioned that in the United States, we have this culture of individualism and this kind of fascination with like DIYing things, you know, uh, even outside of just like building furniture, like we we want to DIY everything. We want this individual action here in the US and maybe a lot of other places too. But I think it makes us prone to this black and white thinking in all realms, including health decisions, which I, I think is so true. You know, we don't see the gray area that modern healthcare has problems but most doctors prescribing medicine are just trying to help us. Instead, we pit food against medicine and we value being an individual and seeing through the BS and finding ways to cure ourselves with food or alternative treatments. And I think Clement and you know Robert O. Young these guys really use this like American ethos of individualism to their advantage. Does does that make sense to you?
1: Yeah, yeah, it does. And I you know, I think like what you and I go back to often in these conversations is that alternative treatments are great. Food is great. But like medicine is also great, right? We don't yeah. need to exclude one of these categories. We don't need to create this like hierarchy. And maybe in some cases there's a hierarchy. Like I would be the first to say that like if someone has cancer, chemotherapy is first line treatment, right? Um, but what I mean by that is that we can still value all of these different things and incorporate them into our lives in different ways without being exclusionary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I think we tend to think about Going to a hospital for something like cancer treatment, and food is not a topic of conversation. But you and I both trained at the Dana Farber Cancer Institute as part of our, our internship training, and you know I worked at a hospital on a floor that that works with uh, oncology patients, and nutrition's a, a part of the conversation. You know there are dietitians, clinical dietitians in practice who, while somebody's undergoing you know, chemo or radiation or surgery for cancer, they're having conversations about, you know, after discharge, what would be a, a healthy way of eating to support your your recovery? Or, you know, how can we take care of you now while you're going through treatment to make sure you're getting the nourishment that your body needs? So there is nutrition and food conversations happening in cancer centers.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, why don't we maybe bring this episode home by coming back to where we all started with Hippocrates, the, the guy who didn't actually say, let food be thy medicine, um, yep. but is still going to get the credit forever and all of time. So what do you think if, you know, if Hippocrates stepped out of um, like, a, like a time machine now, maybe like Bill and Ted style telephone booth, do <laughs> oh. you think he would agree with the sentiment let food be thy medicine.
0: I think if Hippocrates came back now, I think he would look at somebody like Brian Clement and he would go, I said, do no harm, dude. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, You know, like that's the whole point of the, the Hippocratic oath, you know, non-maleficence. And we'd unfortunately have to break it to him that uh, Clement never took that oath because he's not a doctor. <laughs> so he, he maybe hasn't heard about that. You know, I think the context for medicine when Hippocrates was practicing, was very different. We'd have to teach him that, you know, medicine isn't just like cream with leaves ground <laughs> into it. We're doing like advanced stuff now when somebody has a health condition and we know what's going on inside your blood. We're not just like letting people's blood out of their body because we're worried they have an imbalance. So, you know, he was a smart guy and he would, I think, get caught up on where we're at in modern medicine. And he would say, yeah, it seems like food is amazing. Also, medicine is amazing. And if we're going to do no harm, then we need to find a good balance between the two.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that ties back to something we touched on earlier, which is like anytime I'm working with somebody, I firmly believe like if they're on a medication, whether that's for like, mental health or cholesterol or blood pressure. Like if that medication is is helping them physically, mentally, that's a positive thing. And nothing in me wants to try to like somehow convince them that that's a bad thing because I just don't believe it. I just think that medications can be super helpful. And I'm very glad we don't live in like the dark ages anymore when there's like (laughs) no modern medicine.
0: Seriously. I have a cold currently. (laughs) I'm going to go take some DayQuil. You know, like I, 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 we all rely on medicine. Let's just be grateful. Thank you, medicine, for what you, what you give to us. I feel like all our episodes are ending with, with gratitude, uh, reflections, which I'm very okay with.
1: Well, and I'm, I'm going to end it with like a new quote, which is just, you know, like food is food. Medicine is medicine. Mic drop. End of episode.
0: Can you add a a thy or a a hence in there or something?
1: Food is thy food. Medicine (laughs) is thy medicine. Thy mic drop.
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> All right. I will see thy in the next one.
1: <laughs> see you, Matt. Bye.
0: Nutrition for Mortals is a production of Oceanside Nutrition, a real-life nutrition counseling practice in beautiful Newburyport, Massachusetts, where we provide individual nutrition counseling both in person and online via telehealth. Feel free to learn more about our practice at OceansideNutrition.com. If you want to send in a show idea, you can email us at NutritionForMortals at gmail.com or on Instagram at NutritionForMortals. If you're digging the show, tell a friend. Maybe give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts if you can. Thanks for listening.